I want to, uh, before I start, so I, my name is Andrew, by the way, if you're new with us, I am a pastor here at Sanctuary Church, uh, and we are a family of neighborhood churches. Uh, we, uh, there's a church over in the Elmhurst, Mount Pleasant Valley neighborhood area, the north end of the city, called Sanctuary North, that started about a year back, uh, and then uh, in the coming year, between now and Easter, uh, there will be Sanctuary Eastside, which will be also starting up, which is really exciting. So we're part of a, you're here and you're part of a, a kind of a larger family of churches that are looking to uh, join God in the renewal of all things, looking to be faithful uh, people who are demonstrating and announcing the way of Jesus. Uh, so if you can, if you're new with us, it's just great to have you. Um, I mentioned this in the opening liturgy, but we called Sanctuary Sanctuary when we first started for a reason. The, the sort of working definition we had was a safe and a sacred place. Uh, and I think in our world more than ever, we need safe and sacred places. And that doesn't mean safe like without challenge. It doesn't mean safe uh, without being pushed and stretched and called into the prophetic. But what it does mean is a space, especially for folks. We have a lot of folks in our community who are not followers of Jesus, who would consider themselves spiritual but not religious. And we just want you to know not only are you, like, welcome here in some general sense, but, like, there have been people journeying with this community for the last year who are still just making sense of the way of Jesus and making sense of what it really means, who are maybe undoing a lot of bad religion in their heart. Or they've just never encountered things like this. And so we're just on this kind of slow road and slow burn to make sense of, of God, the spirit, Christianity. And so I, I just want you to know, like, this, this truly, I believe, or at least we want it to be, aspirationally, <laughs> we want this to be a safe place for you to make sense of it all. And there are people who are willing to walk with you in, in that journey. So we're just really glad you're here. Um, I wanted to mention one thing before I start. Next week, we're starting uh, a series called In Our Time, uh, which is uh, based on Habakkuk 3.2, which has been uh, the verse, sort of our, our root foundational verse when we started our church. Um, and, uh, and the name also then became a song uh, that uh, we wrote at Sanctuary Worship, Yikes. Um, uh, which we're going to be releasing. They finally they recorded the song finally. Uh, some of you may not have even known that was written right here in-house. And so uh, we're going to be putting that song out and then doing like a five-week series, um, just sort of naming uh, the importance uh, of what it means uh, in this time, in this day and age to walk the way of Jesus. So we're going to talk about like in our work, like in our homes and our marriages and our relationship with our kids, in our streets. Um, what does it look like, uh, the, what does the way of Jesus look like here and now? And what we're going to do is kind of circle uh, Ephesians 4 and 5 as we talk about that. So the book of Ephesians is this letter that starts with, here's who you are in Jesus. And so then, how do we make sense of church? How do you, in light of who you are, how do you live this out? And so I'm really excited. There's some just fresh insight I feel like God's given me and our pastoral team around things like, what does it mean to truly live a Christian marriage, singleness? Um, what, is, what does hospitality look like in our day and age? When we talk about in our streets, in a world that is so divided and divisive, what does the Christian concept of unity have to offer the world, especially when the church has failed so desperately at its central call to be one? 
So we're going to talk a bit about that. I'm just really excited, and it's the kind of series that um, I really believe. We, we do this on purpose. You can invite your friends to. That doesn't mean it's going to be um, like weak or soft or not rich or intellectual or anything like that. What it means, though, is we're just going to, in particular, have a special eye, just kind of aware of the fact that a lot of folks this time of year are making their way back into maybe new rhythms. It's the beginning of the year for so many folks. So I want to encourage you. Oh, thanks, Jason. Um, encourage you uh, to just invite neighbors, invite friends. We will make room uh, for folks. So anyway, cheers. Great. So today, I want to talk about the cross. <laughs> like, don't we do that every week? Um, I'm going to do it again. And I want to talk a little bit about um, what God is saying to us through the cross. I'm going to end at the communion table. I'm going to end at what the cross has done for us again and remind us again of that, why we rally. But I, I had some thoughts that have been kind of kicking around and waiting for sort of like a free week that it made sense to share it. And there was something about some events that happened in our city. And I'm not going to go into it all because I'm assuming that 80% of you have no idea what was going on with it. Um, but some events that Christian around a radio station transitioning from a modern rock station to a Christian pop station. Um, and some of the vitriol that I saw rise up. I, I want to I, I talk uh, for a minute, and I know there's a lot of visitors here, and I, I, I kind of forget Labor Day. Oh, yeah, folks are coming, maybe checking out the church. But I was hoping it was going to be a little small, like, well, I guess it's kind of small, but like a little in-house meeting around like, hey, 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 Christians, like, get off message boards and stop being, oh, I have so many curse words after that. Stop. Like, just stop. And so I want to talk about the way of the cross in our culture, that if you, like, support Donald Trump, you're a demon, or if you supported Hillary Clinton, you're a demon. I, I want to talk, not, I'm not going to get political today. I, I want to, like, talk about Christian sacrificial love in a culture that is, like, just hateful. I'm not going to talk about all the reasons we talked a lot about that. And there's, a, there's so many articles coming out about why we're so divided. We thought the internet would bring us together. It is literally doing the opposite. At least social media, part of the internet. And what does the, the cross has done something for us. But the cross, we're told in the scripture, instructs us a bit on how we live. And how we as followers of Jesus do that. So just a little, a little just. Um, look in. There's a, w, a radio station, 95.5, that that uh, was been a modern rock station in this city. It's been one of the last independent alternative stations in the country. Um, whatever your thoughts are on it, it's a special place in many of Rhode Islanders' hearts, my, mine especially. Um, uh, they gave me the delusion that I was a rock star for a quick moment when they played one of our songs 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it was. Um, and so I... Uh, <laughs> When it changed over, when they basically, for a number of political reasons that are still being fought, they sold the station. And so then a, a big national Christian alternative pop station, whatever your thoughts are on K-Love. By the way, you can be a Christian and really not like alternative Christian pop. Amen? All right. Can we just be clear? Good art, God, all that stuff. But that again, if K-Love is really encouraging to you, God bless you. Teach their own. How many more prefaces do I have to do to not tick everybody off? Like, oh, yeah, no, oh, he did. Uh. I don't care. <laughs> I'm looking at the way in which people are responding on Twitter, on Facebook, on social media to this. 
And people are like, literally half the crowd is attacking the entirety of the Christian faith. As if it's Caleb's fault that WBRU sold their station. And then attacking like, oh, you know, the faith of like Dr. King and J.R. Tolkien. And, you know, and these are folks that are much more progressive. The faith of like Obama, like a bunch of idiots, like praising a ghost guy in the cloud. Like they're like vitriol towards everybody who's a Christian. And then, of course, you've got the Christians charging in on the other side. Like, ha, finally, redemption will come and revival will come because, you know, I don't know, Third Day song is on the radio now on the WBRU signal. Like, some of you have, like, no idea what I'm talking about. Thank you. There's just so much hate. There's so much hate. There's so much hate. What is God saying through the cross is what I want to talk about. So in the scriptures, we're just going to jump in. At the end of Jesus' life, the scenes go from being kind of um, quick. Right? So the beginning of the Gospels, there's four accounts in the scriptures about Jesus' life. Four and like a quarter. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, a little bit of Acts. And they're talking about what Jesus' life was like. And almost all of the books are pretty like fast, jumping like from big moment to big moment, big sermon, big parable, and then all of a sudden everything goes, and it slows down, and then all of a sudden we start getting details. And the details are all around the way of the, like Jesus' walk toward the cross. When it gets to Jesus' death, it gets details. It's detailed. Matthew 21, 23. All these stories about um, Jesus being questioned and his integrity. And then you get his intimate followers, his 12 that have been walking with him for so long. Um, some of them end up getting a chance that one of them chance to hand him over. They spent three years with him, traveling with him, pouring, uh, Jesus pouring his life into them. Like just giving everything that he had to these 12. And then one betrays him, hands him over to the Roman authorities. Good thing nowadays no one gets betrayed by a friend. Matthew 26, 36, we get into um, Jesus sleeping in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's trying to get his friends simply to stay awake, to keep watch while he goes and prays, trying to basically go, God, I don't want to have to go to the cross. I don't want this to have to happen like this. He's pleading with God, making sense of this pivotal moment. And he's like, hey, hey, friends, can you stay awake? Just kind of keep watch. I know people are kind of after me. It's kind of a weird time. I Guard me while I pray. And they fall asleep. They fall asleep on him. Your best friends aren't even willing to stay awake. They're not there for him in his time of need, and they're still not getting it. People are questioning his motives, his best friends selling him out, and then in his time of needs, his friends can't even stay awake. He's spit in the face, he's struck, he's slapped, like curses are th like thrown to him. One of your best friends deny that they even know you. All right, the list goes on. I got a good list here. I just kind of went through the scriptures. What are all the things that seem to happen to Jesus on his way to the cross? Questioned, betrayed, deserted, denied, spit on, struck, slapped, mocked, stripped, beaten, insulted, lied about, falsely accused, condemned, hated, pierced. I don't think that's supposed to say stared at. I stared at him. He killed. This is the story of all the things that happened to him. A lot of you identify with some of this, right? We, we know this. 
many talked about in our culture these days, it, it's difficult to navigate any kind of civil discourse because everybody's a victim. Everybody. Everybody. Right, can I just be real for a second? You know when it gets to the place that like white men are feeling victimized, like everybody's feeling victim. Is that okay? Can I say that? Like, that's the culture that we're swimming in. People feel betrayed and beaten down and misunderstood and kicked off. And never mind the fact that actually in our real lives, never mind the sort of interesting reality of things like identity politics, but oh my gosh, like just, just being a human, these are the sorts of things that we feel. And so what is Jesus's response? What is Jesus's response? If you want to turn with me to Luke 23 for a moment. How does Jesus, with all this happening to him, how does he respond? This is one of my favorite stories. He's up on the cross, one of my favorite accounts of it. Jesus is now up on the cross. I don't know if you know anything about Roman um, crucifixion, right? It wasn't just like the, 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 um, the nails weren't the part that killed, right? It was all about really basically the, the pain and ache of the suffocation because in order to breathe, you had to lift yourself up while you were on the cross. So many theorized that it wasn't like the nail going through the hand. They actually specifically nailed you in such a way that you would not die immediately when you went up on the cross, so Jesus is actually able to have conversation with people while he is hanging there up on the cross. Verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults. So he's, got, he's between these two criminals. One of them hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourselves, save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you feastly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus. So they're like, look, if you say you are who you say you are, like, get us off of here. And one of the criminals is sober-minded enough in this moment of, like, pain at the end of his life going, look, I know what I've done, and I deserve to be up here by, for all intents and purposes. And so he just rebukes the other guy and then turns to Jesus says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. His heart, as he is up there falsely accused, is bent toward forgiveness. His heart with all of this static coming at him, is bent toward invitation. All these things that are done to him, and yet every line is forgiving and is inviting. Verse 25 of John 19, it, it, he, uh, the famous line, who is going to care for my mother? He's on his way to the cross, and his response is care. His response is thinking about somebody else's needs. John 21.10, he spends a couple years telling them I'm going to suffer, telling his disciples I'm going to die. Instead of going, all right, Jesus, we trust you, they deny him and they run. And so you picture in John 19 is the scene where Jesus is coming to them after he's risen from the grave. 
and you're expecting a rebuke, are you not? Right? Jesus comes back, pretty big deal. Guy rises from the dead, goes back to his friends who deserted him, who denied him. And they're like, really? And except his response is, uh, hey, guys, let's have some breakfast. (laughs) The people who had denied him and deserted him, he sits down and shares a meal with them. In fact, Peter, in verse 15, he commissions him and gives him a task. Jesus has choices. We be really clear here. Jesus has choices on how he is going to respond to all that is thrown at him. All sorts of things happen to him. Whether he would spit back or fight or respond with something else. With every passage, we see Jesus respond with love. He never becomes the evil that is done to him. He responds with love every single time. One writer said, he was tempted in all the same ways as us, except he doesn't give in. That was in the scriptures. He was tempted in all the same ways. So this is, I wanted to just remind us all of that, because I think a lot of us are maybe familiar, at least vaguely, with the Christian story. Because this has consequences for us. Our temptation is to always, I would say temptation, this is a good thing in the central aspect of the cross, right? We immediately though go to what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has paid the price we couldn't pay. Jesus has shown us what love looks like. Jesus has in some mysterious way forgiven us of our sins, has triumphed over death. People have written book after book after book after book trying to make sense of what is God accomplishing on the cross. What we do know is it's totally central. That's why every church you've ever walked into or walked by has a cross, an execution device hanging from it. Something in the cosmos and something in our consciousness as people and something in the reality of the world has shifted. But it has consequences for us in how we treat one another. And that's what I want to talk about. John 16, 33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. No one has ever been able to live a perfect life and then been able to, like, lived a perfect life. And others has been able to restrain from doing one act of evil. Like, it's like all of a sudden there's this new way the universe works. All of a sudden there's this new way that we're supposed to be oriented. The cross seems to be God's way of saying that things are not like it used to be. And so that brings us to our Colossians passage that we read at the beginning. Or almost brings us to that. Right before that passage, we're told that Jesus is the design behind it all. It's not just a person getting freed from sin. It's the way that things are supposed to work. If you don't get any other point, I want you to get this. The writers in the New Testament begin to reflect on what Jesus did on the cross, and they start telling these stories and making sense of what it looked like in community. They go, this is actually how things are just supposed to be. There's something about the design behind everything. It says in Colossians, The design behind it all is the person of Jesus. There's something that is like ultimately true when we look at Jesus. The penultimate humanity, right? Jesus is fully God and fully human. And so you have to begin to ask questions when these writers in the scriptures start reflecting on the scripture. When they say things like evil has been overcome. 
if we take the Bible seriously, has evil really been overcome? Other biblical writers, uh, they start to realize these implications. They go, don't overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. Every day we face choices on how we will respond. Every day, all of the time, and how will we engage, I guess, in the subtle and creative work of overcoming evil with good. It gets bigger in Colossians 2.15, our passage today. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, triumphing over them by the cross. If you've never come across this passage, this should feel peculiar. Like how has Jesus made the governing authorities, the people that put him on the cross, a public spectacle? He is left naked to die. It does not seem that like Rome is suddenly like on blast. Like Rome has been exposed. And that's exactly what this writer is saying. I'd say if I look at this on face value, God has lost. God's lost. God is, God's, I mean, this is, this is the end of the story. But like we talk about every Easter Sunday, if you can do the worst possible thing to someone and they still live, and who was made a spectacle? Sometimes it's hard to see the long run. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to see past the immediate moment of being hurt, kicked aside, scorned, pushed away. Have you ever been embarrassed by someone's love? You ever been embarrassed by someone's love before? Uh, recently, well, semi-recently, um, I, uh, it's hard to explain exactly how big a deal this was, um, but basically, I, I, I forgot something. This is not going to be a great story, because I'm going to keep it vague, but just, I was, I, I thought I was going to share the whole story, and then I asked my wife, hey, can I share this story? And she's like, no, don't share that story. So I'm going to, like, code it for you. Ever had a moment where you're embarrassed by someone's life? I basically just did something that was, like, such a fail. Such a fail. Anyone in a relationship and married, you just like, you failed the other person in the worst way. Like just, like I can't believe I forgot that and didn't do that when you told me 18 times. And now you are stuck in a jam that is the worst. And you warned me about this. I just remember this moment because when I came in with my head, just like, like you know, between my ankles. Just like, I'm so sorry. like it was the worst. And she just looked at me, and my wife, I mean, she knows how to be condescending. She, <laughs> no judgment, she knows. She knows how to give that look that makes you feel mm, this big. And she just looked at me and went, hey. And it's been, I know it's been a hard week, but I, I love you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thanks, but, you know, I'm just so sorry. Maybe you didn't hear me the first time. Like, I'm just so sorry. I'm just so sorry. Like, no, no. Much. It wasn't even related to like, I accept your apology. And it was that moment where I, I felt somehow worse. You ever wish somebody would yell at you? Like, oh, just get it out. Just please, just yell. Get, get, hit me. Just hit me. Like, just do it. Oh, gosh. It was more painful than any punch 
more painful than any fight. He made like a public, it was like, oh, well, it's not public, it was a very private spectacle. But it was a spectacle nonetheless of like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I am truly the worst. But what it had done is then all of a sudden opened up channels of conversation and opened up like a new redemptive edge in our communication as a couple. It did a whole lot of good. <laughs> God's lost. But if you can do the worst possible thing to someone and they still live, then who has been made a spectacle of? Ever met someone who didn't have to win by cutting someone else down? Who gets shown for their true colors? We talk about public spectacle. Who gets shown for their true colors? When someone just goes, I, I hear you. I, I, I feel the being beaten down and pushed aside and cut. You're insulting everything that is true about who I am. Um, so uh, I'm just going to uh, just love you. We had a, a piece, of, I think I shared this recently, so forgive me, but there's a piece of liturgy we used to do in, uh, when we were down at East Greenwich as a Sunday night service. And we, we would do it pretty regularly, and I, I, I think it was partly because there was something in the air at that moment where it, it was, um, on your way to church today, that person that cut you off, right, that person that you wanted to like, like that person was, let's just assume some things about that person. They're a single mom with six kids in the back screaming, and she's had like a day from just absolute hell. Like, let's assume for a minute that that situation that was inconvenient to you, like, everyone's fighting a fight. Everyone has a fight. Everyone's in a fight. Let's assume that the way in which that person came at me with those kinds of things, or that way that they sounded a bit racist, or that way that they sounded a bit ignorant, or that way that they pushed against me like this, like, everybody's fighting a fight. Everybody has a different background. Everybody, every, it doesn't mean we excuse all behavior or anything like that, but Jesus had choices on how he was going to respond to apparently the worst possible things that could happen to him. So guess who else has choices? You do. Guess who else who has the Holy Spirit living within them and is empowered by the Spirit to do the things of Jesus and to walk like Jesus walked? Guess who? You. We. powers that put Jesus on the cross, that list, those are powers appear to be winning, but in the end, they lose. You didn't respond with road rage. You reached out. You tried to make peace. You didn't lash out. You didn't get angry, no matter what the circumstance looked like. And so it, it brings us to this line that we sing all the time, your love never fails. It was in our liturgy this morning. Your love never fails. Your love never fails. God, your love never fails. The power of the cross and the beauty of that kind of love, it never fails. If something never fails, what does it do? What does it always do if it never fails? It always, I was going to go with wins, but you succeeds, triumphs, okay. I thought that was going to be. If it always, if it never fails, it always, it always wins. And here's the, here's the rub that I have in my own heart. Forget about you guys. In my own heart, I have known this stuff forever. Yeah, overcome evil with good. Yeah, I know, it's hard. I'm working on it. How do we begin to practice this? Like right now, what are the places where you need to go to someone and ask for forgiveness? You need to repent in your own heart because the way in which you react 
is gossip, is slander, is cutting down, is assuming that they're all this way. I, for a minute, I'm just not talking to folks. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, like just please receive as much grace and love as you can from these next statements because this is like an in-house thing. To followers of Jesus, stop. Always love. Always. Lean into it. And the way in which we lean into it, right, is coming to this table. We realize that we have been so loved by the God of the universe who sees everything awful you've ever done. And he loves you. So extend it. Extend it. Extend it. Christians, we are not in a fight. Our battle is not against people. Get off the message boards. Get off them forever. Get off the YouTube comments. I swear to you. Get just, it's demonic. Is it not? I know I'm being so intense right now. I'm fully aware. But YouTube comments? Rebuke all of them. All of them. Even the good ones. In Jesus' name. Gone. They're awful. We have to offer the world not like feisty statements back, not like propped up, self-involved <laughs> types of statements, not self-righteous justifications of whatever, not defending some bygone era that we think we actually had of when people respected Christ. Like we're followers of Jesus. Lay down your life. Just, just lay it down. I know that's so hard. I'm like, just lay it down. Just love always. Okay, that's helpful, Pastor. Like, I, I don't have anything else. You've known this forever. We've known this forever. A lot of the things I'm sharing, you're like, yeah, cool. It's good to be reminded of. We can, like, the Holy Spirit lives in us. As followers of Jesus, we can seek first the kingdom. We can press in and remind ourselves and begin every day, like we talked about last week, marinating in the love and richness and beauty of what God says about who we are. A bunch of people running around this city, a bunch of people running around this city who are walking in this deep confidence that they are loved, like deeply loved and forgiven. Those kinds of people should be dangerous because they're so loving and sacrificial. Those kinds of people are not threatened, are not threatened. They are not easily annoyed. They are not searching out atheists to attack. <laughs> they are searching out people who are far from God to love them. They are searching out the person who is more hostile than anyone and going, I'm going to love you to death. That sounded creepy too. I'm going to just retire. It's always when I go into this speaker, things get bad. We are a different kind of people in the world. And if the cross is real, then it wins. The cross is real. Love, love never fails. We have choices in how we will respond. So I don't think this is just like, I think as followers of Jesus, we can get a lot better at practicing the love of God. think that too often we receive God's grace, love, and forgiveness. We acknowledge it. 
I mean, Jesus says, like, if you really love me, you'll do what I say. Or, or you know, the truth will set you free. Some people like to lob that at other folks who don't believe the truth. The truth will set you free. Do you know what the verse is right before that? Anyone know the verse right before that? If you adhere to my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you, if, if you, if you walk, if you practice the way of Jesus, it's hard at first. It's difficult. Some of us have been walking the way of Jesus for a long time. There's like new depths. Paul says it's like, like greater depths, widths, heights. He's like, dude, this love goes on. It gets more transformative and more beautiful and rocks like neighborhoods and families. It shifts the culture and the temperature in the room. The more we lay down our life. Followers of Jesus, we're known by our love. That's like supposed to be the thing. If I went out and polled Providence right now, is it like, oh, yeah, man, Christians? Woo-hoo! Like, this, I mean, it was just watching this WBRU thing, this radio station thing. It was like, oh, my gosh. Either these are literally all, like, trolls from the depths of Woonsocket. Or, just kidding. Love you, Woonsocket. Um, <laughs> you know, or, like, people really have a warped understanding of the way of Jesus. Let me bring it out of the global and just down to where you live. I've been, like, super impatient with my wife the last, like, 24, 36 hours here. Like, so impatient. God's been so patient with me. Love is patient. Love is kind. Anyone know that verse as it keeps going? Anyone know that one? Yeah. God is love, so God is patient. God is kind. God has been kind and patient to me. I have not been kind and patient to my wife. So part of it, I just need to, like, work on that and practice that. But part of that is, like, oh, the last three days, like, what's also been missing? Oh last three days, I've, like, not taken the time. I've been so busy to just, like, sit for, like, longer than 10 minutes and rest, acknowledge, meditate in the love of God and realizing the power of the cross. We need the Eucharist, the communion table, the bread and the cup more than ever in our world. This is the gift that has been given to us. And church, this is the gift we give to the world, the Eucharist. Christ's body broken and his blood poured out. Ourselves broken open and blood poured out for our spouse, for our kids. How many of you need to go to your children and you need to ask for forgiveness because you have not been the man or woman that you've been called to be? You need to like apologize to your kids because you've been just a jerk. How many of you need to go to friends? How many of you have had a view of those people or that thing or the, and you just need to go, hey, hey, hey. I have not been the loving person I need to be. How do we, maybe it really has been an online thing. I keep thinking it's only like a handful of people. If I meet more and more folks, you guys should all block me. I see like half of what you do online. It's like, oh gosh. <laughs> and I'm kidding. Most of it's fine. But there's like stuff out there where it's like so, we're so quick to react. We should be quick to love. Amen? Amen? Overcoming evil with good. Jesus made a spectacle. He put the hatred of the world on blast. Quote me on that. This is what he did. He exposed it for what it was, evil and awful. How? Well, he laid down his life. That's what we do. We're Christians. We lay down our life. We get the whole cross thing. 